action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we've not gone to the movies because we're still in lockdown. For this <sighs> lockdown special, <laughs> you're right there, Josh. <laughs> Just I feel so more lockdown, down, yeah. <laughs> um, on this episode, we're going to run down some movie suggestions across various streaming platforms, and this time with a guest, filmmaker Elizabeth Sankey. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you're very, very welcome. Your documentary film essay, Romantic Comedy, is currently streaming on Mubi. How did it come to be? How do you go from being a lover of romantic comedies to wanting to make an essay that kind of picks them apart? Um, well, I, I am in a band called Summer Camp and we had done the soundtrack for another essay film about teen movies by Charlie Shackleton, which is called Beyond Clueless. So I'd kind mm. of seen how that process had worked from afar. Um, and then we wanted to do a new album and our manager at the time was like, <clears throat> why don't you do something like a visual aspect for it? And I think he was thinking like Beyonce's Lemonade. And I was like, no essay film about rom-coms. So <laughs> <laughs> that was how it kind of happened. Um, but yeah, it's basically because I had seen what Charlie had done with Beyond Clueless and been like, cool, I'll just do that. Had you wanted to be a filmmaker from, from an early age? No, I mean, I was obsessed with film, like loved watching films. Uh, and all of our, quite a lot of our albums are about films and things. But I just never thought that it was something I could do. I was, I trained to be an actress because uh, I think I thought, okay, I'm a woman. What's the easiest way for women to be in film? <laughs> like in the film world, oh, acting. Um, and so I had done that and not really got anywhere with it. And then we'd started this band. And so, yeah, so, but then in the process of making the film, I was like, oh my God, this is what I've wanted to do forever. Um, I can't, and so the stakes got really high because it was like, shit, I have to make this somehow be good because I think this is what I want to do with my life. Was it a complete learning curve? Yeah, <laughs> I had like made music videos uh just out of archive stuff for the band so i knew my way around like um editing but very very kind of you know taught myself um and so yeah so there was a lot of things that i had to learn and also i'd just never done anything that long form as well obviously so uh, i remember i emailed one of my friends who's like an actual filmmaker and was like hey i'm doing this thing and he was like wait you're doing a feature for your first ever. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, wow, that's so brave. And I was like, oh, God. Is it? What have I done? It's been really well received. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's it, it, we've had some really nice reviews. We've also had some not as nice reviews, which are really fun if you want to Google them. Do you, do you relish in those sort of bad ones? Um, no, I hate reviews. I hate reading reviews unless, I mean... I don't ever go looking for reviews, um, but with Mubi, we have like a team obviously who've been fantastic and they sort of sort out your press and stuff and they try and get it reviewed. And so they emailed us about one in particular, um, but that one I did find so funny. Um, <laughs> what did I'm they not, say? As in what, a bad one? I'm not going to say. I'm not going right. to say. But um, <laughs> it was just, it was so, they obviously hated it so much 
that it was um you just kind of like like wow amazing but I think I would have been a lot I would have been upset by it if I hadn't also had like really nice reviews from like Peter Bradshaw and The Guardian and things like that because it's like a really beloved genre for a lot of people so were you kind of anticipating a little bit of that kind of uh resistance maybe to your kind of dissection of the genre um I wasn't worried that people would I wasn't worried how people would react about it being the subject of it being rom-coms because I feel like uh most people are either kind of neutral on rom-coms or like see them as a guilty pleasure or just love them you know unashamedly so I wasn't really worried about that I was worried about the fact that I do talk in the film about the sort of (laughs) the way that (laughs) male critics how I perceive them to receive rom-coms and talk about rom-coms and be quite dismissive of them not all of not all male critics but like that does seem to be something that seems to happen because it's a film genre that's not made for men directly so I feel like therefore sometimes it doesn't get kind of given the same sort of consideration that other genres like action which are really fun as well and frivolous in the same way that rom-coms are um but maybe wouldn't get torn apart as much as like a rom-com would you know like marvel Mm. they get amazing (laughs) reviews uh the marvel films and i'm like is this really that different in terms of (laughs) the fantastical element etc sometimes i feel with the reviews that things like star wars and marvel get it's maybe more to do with the fact that the magazine and the newspaper want the access and they want continued access so if they give a favorable review they're going to be remembered next time to get the interview with the star yeah sure i'm sure that happens i mean i'd like to think that all reviewers are reviewing like honestly and you know thinking about it in terms of cinema and what they the kind of films that they want to support and and just in general like judging films on their terms I do think that, I mean, all the film journalists I know are doing that. I don't think there's that much sort of like, oh, if I review this well, then I'll get access. But I think it's more that there's not enough diversity, of course, as there isn't in anything. Um, Mm. And there's not enough diversity in in film journalism So and, and criticism. So there's just not enough people from different backgrounds with different experiences who can say, oh, actually, this film really means something to me because it's made for me. Um... But then I also don't agree that like only women should be allowed to review rom-coms because a lot of men really love rom-coms and have wonderful things to say about them. So Mm. it's very tricky. But that was what I was worrying about. And I was worrying about also the creators of the films that I talk about less uh, positively, maybe hating me or like getting in touch. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of the, I mean, the film is made up of nothing but clips from from those films with... uh, interview voiceover so in terms of getting hold of those clips was it a case of using um sort of fair usage or did you have to get permission and what was that sort of process like uh yeah so it's all fair use uh if people don't know fair use is basically that you can criticize films as in a new context as long as the the criticism is kind of holding up so you can have up to a certain amount of a film in your film as long as you are sort of talking about it directly and explicitly and there's you have to work with a lawyer from the beginning and kind of check everything with them um, and you have to get worldwide insurance and things like that if you want to distribute it so yeah so it was but we didn't have to pay any money to license the films 
you just got to watch them and that's great. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, how many did you watch and in what kind of short space of time did you watch them all? Well, I was watching them while I was editing them because I didn't want to have to like watch them and then make notes about like time codes and stuff. So yeah. I was just I was just sat there like watching and being like, oh, there's a there's a kiss. Oh, there's a wedding and like having all my folders and just putting them in. But that process, I can't remember. How, I think I, there was a point like on a good day, I was doing like three a day. Um, um, but the amazing thing about rom-coms is that they all have such a similar arc that you know kind of what's going to be in them. So you can be like, okay, I know there's going to be a scene in the rain. And also I knew the films really well. Um, yeah. But it was... I, so you're, you always know like the 80 minute mark, that will be the, you know, the, the kiss yeah. that I want or that's yeah. something that I want. I just skip to that bit. Yeah. And you know what you're looking for as well because I knew what I wanted to talk about. Mm. Uh, and I could... But there were still some that were just like, baffling that i hadn't seen before and also i hadn't seen so many of the really old rom-coms so like from the 30s all the way to the 60s i hadn't really seen many of those so that was a really amazing because they're so good there are all there are mm. so many good ones yeah. um, but then equally you had to watch a lot of matthew mcconaughey i did but <laughs> i just think matthew mcconaughey is kind of fascinating in terms of his career trajectory or like but i guess that was kind of what was happening then was that like, can you imagine if, like, Timothy Chalamet, like, started off in rom-coms? And, yeah. and it's, it's like, that just doesn't happen anymore. Like, where you, where actors sort of start off doing romantic comedies and then get to do their more, like, drama um, performances. So I think he's, I think Matthew Honey is quite interesting. So what's next for you? What's the project coming up? I'm doing my, I'm currently working on my next essay film, uh, which at the moment is really bad. <laughs> what's it about what's the subject uh <clears throat> it's about <laughs> <laughs> um it's about have you got a publicist <laughs> no no it's about why bands break up i'm really obsessed with uh why bands break up I don't understand why so many bands break up. That's a subject that I am really interested in. But oh, okay, good. The one I, but the one I'm interested in is why do bands have this burst for five years and then yeah. why is it always the fifth year that they break up? Exactly. It happened with Kiss and and uh, what the baby, you know, the 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 wheels start falling off. Duran Duran, um, Spice Girls. <laughs> Spice Girls. I think the Spice Girls was five years as well. Maybe even less. I think maybe they were four yeah. years. I think it was two years before Jerry left. 96 yeah. to 98 mad, she was there. Mad, mad. Yeah. They released like four albums the, in that time or something. I'm not a Spice Girls fan. I just know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm looking at. Because I'm like, what is it about this? Because it's such an, a strange... Um, like, there's not really any other creative collaborative process that's similar to bands where you're like reliant on each other. And obviously mm. having been in a band, but I'm in a band with my husband, so it's very different. But like... Yeah, I'm just like, there's something about that that I'm trying to work out. Uh, so I'm just mm. watching loads and loads of band docs, which are, mm. there's so many in there. Quite a few of them are quite boring. That's a really interesting subject. I'm looking forward to that. But there's something oh, else you're working that, on that as makes well. Me feel better. What else am I working on? A baby. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your debut baby? <laughs> it's my first, my first son. Well, oh, I meant my first, first baby, baby, but my first, yeah. Yeah, I'm very pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Is it it's going to be a summer baby? Yeah, he's due uh, end of July, which Oh, uh, so you're like 
like you're ready to pop. Half months gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's like soon, oh right? Because because really uh, I it, yeah. Obviously, we've been in lockdown longer. Yeah. I don't know if you've got, I'm sure you guys have never been pregnant, but you might have. Um, but, <laughs> like, but like you, it's like something that you just don't know how you're going to feel about it until you're doing it. And I've really, really loved it. But also like time moves really strangely because you're like counting your weeks, if as it were. And like you're going through like all these different transitions and it's just mad. Mm. So I'm like, now I'm like, God, it's end of May. So yeah, he's going to be here in two months that and that feels both really far away but also really soon i'm just so excited to meet him <laughs> uh well good luck with that one good luck with the Thank baby you. and good luck with the band essay mm, sounds great Thank you. but, oh, but let's get down to it let's get some recommendations done cool yeah. so shall we start with prime and elizabeth as our guest i invite you to go first what's your prime recommendation uh my prime recommendation is the Quentin Tarantino documentary, which oh. actually, let me get the actual name of it. Isn't it called Q8, the first eight it films? Is. Yes, it is. Thank you. Uh, we watched that. And <laughs> it's kind of bizarre because Quentin Tarantino isn't in it, but loads of <laughs> no, people are in it. <laughs> and there's like a weird bit where they try and like handle like Me Too and and well well i guess actually not me too weinstein and the car crash on Kill yeah Bill, yeah volume two yeah poor uma but um i just thought it was really interesting to just like learning a bit more about his process and uh yeah i really enjoyed it it is a bizarre one because he's not in it uma thurman's not in it um other people like lawrence bender aren't in it who is weinstein's in it? not in it <laughs> Oh, I, I always wonder with that, like, how did they, like, if someone was making a documentary about me, which will definitely happen, but if they were doing that and then they were like, oh, do you want to be part of it? I was like, no, thank you. Um, and then they got loads of people that I'd worked with who I was probably still friends with to be in it. I'd be like, guys, yeah, don't do that. Do they actually use clips from... Do they actually show Tarantino in the film? Like, oh, yeah. It, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah, there's clips from behind the scenes. But that's oh, okay. probably fair use, I imagine. Yeah. But it is bizarre that someone so arrogant and someone who loves the spotlight so much as Quentin Tarantino that he wouldn't be like, you're making a film of me. I've got to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he came across that well, though, in a way. Hmm. He probably came... He probably came across much better than he did at the BAFTAs when he just sat there with a big stony face on him, not cracking a smile throughout the ceremony at all this year. Didn't he laugh at... I thought he laughed at Brad's joke. Was that at the BAFTAs? What, about the foot? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the Golden Globes. But at the, at, the, um, at the BAFTAs, they had him a little bit towards the back of the auditorium, but just like a stony, stoic face. It was almost like he was channeling clint eastwood as opposed to himself are you not a quentin fan i'm getting oh no i do, I do like quentin tarantino we did a whole series on him oh did you okay yeah, well, yeah we went through out. every film um and obviously i have my favorites joshua has his favorite <laughs> what are your favorites <laughs> so from memory my i mean my top one is kill bill volume one right if i have to split them into two which i that think is... they're one movie yeah 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 and i think joshua was yours Jackie Brown. Yeah, mine was Jackie Brown. I right. just, I love Jackie Brown. We just, we watched Jackie Brown afterwards. We, were, I hadn't, I think I'd only seen it once. It's so good. Yeah. So that's QT8, the first 
eight, and that's quite recent actually. Two thousand nine, uh, two thousand nineteen. Yeah. That film came out. Joshua, what's your pride? Pride. Joshua, what's your prime recommendation? <laughs> My prime recommendation is, but I'm a cheerleader. Uh, which oh. is so good. I rewatched it again last a few nights ago, um, and it's a 1999 satirical comedy directed by Jamie Babbitt, and it stars Russian Doll Natasha Lyonne. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, Russian Doll. <laughs> yeah. And she is a cheerleader, and she basically gets shipped off to a gay camp to get straightened out and conversion, uh, camp. conversion camp yes it's, it's very it's kind of a gay camp sounds fun yeah it does doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds very different I mean, to a conversion camp she has a good time i'm not gonna lie it's not yeah. like it's not like cameron post which is called almost like the modern indie version or like the more straight uh yeah less funny version of but i'm a cheerleader um and like me and rob would we're discussing recently sort of like teen films in the 90s and this came out in 1999 so it's the same year as american pie and 10 things i hate about you and all those great teen films but it's nothing like them it's more akin to like ghost world it's that kind of mm. really quite or a john st- waters it's exactly it's john waters but directed and by I somebody think else mink stoll was in in yeah the film, yeah she? yeah Does she played yeah, the mother is, yeah. yep and, and rupaul's, RuPaul's in, in it but uh, playing yeah. playing a boy it was a really amazing bit it was so kind of subversive in a way wasn't it it's just like and i think a lot of people really love it like i mean i really love it as well but i think it's it kind of did cut through which was quite unusual at that time yeah. because a there were so many teen films but also because it was the content was maybe a little bit more like controversial in inverted commas but i think because it's so different i think it really stood out from the pack like it's so everything that is based in the camp is so hyper stylized like it's all the walls are like bright pink or bright purple and they're all forced to wear ridiculous lurid outfits but then so all that stuff is completely insane and sort of tongue-in-cheek but then as soon as you get outside of that environment it has really quite uh, pointed and uh, ahead of its time in terms like point the points it makes are so ahead of their time it has a connection to quentin tarantino the song that he used yes. over the end credits of death proof is white chick featured oh, really? in this song quite yeah that's it what's it called again no, sorry chick habit april march's chick, chick habit. habit oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yes that's the opening credits for a great Bible. song yeah great song. and it's perfect for this film because it's the opening is bouncing cheerleader boobs and things like that so <laughs> amazing in a subversive way in a commentary way <laughs> uh, my prime recommendation is a documentary called are you proud directed mm. by ashley joiner it's an oral history of the modern lgbtqi plus pride movement and it kind of serves as both um, a bit of a greatest hits compilation. So they talk about the Stonewall riots. They talk about the partial decriminalization in 1967. Um, the first UK Pride uh, events. And then things like um, Stonewall being formed, the, the charity, and also Section 28. But it also... It does something which I think is quite brave. It holds up a mirror that is so unflinching to the community and it really asks some tough questions around things like misogyny and racism and ageism and sort of anti-trans and anti-gender queer attitudes. And it really asks us, what is the future of the Pride movement now that it's kind of in its sixth decade? How is it going to exist from now on? Because 
it's all very well and good talking about all these things that happened in the past that define us now but the things that are happening now are going to define us in the future i think i saw i think i reviewed it for total film a couple of years ago and it is really really good like it's not Sounds it's not amazing. kind of it's not really slick it just it's just very straightforward and yeah you're right it takes an unflinching look into the community and really asks some quite probing and interesting questions about how you know that the embracing of minorities um you know how it really should be all inclusive you know like mm. at the moment with all the riots in america with um you know the black lives matters movement it's so important i think that everybody um embraces it obviously but particularly people mm. who have experienced their own kind of prejudice and can somehow relate to that on their own in their own way you know i think it's so important i think this film has a really interesting narrative to itself so the version you would have seen would have been at bfi flair joshua then Pegadilla pictures picked it up and developed it with ashley joiner and now it is this i think it's about 100 minutes but it's really packed it's a really informative piece of both entertainment but also it's educational mm. you know it uses archival footage and newly shot footage and also talking head interviews with people you would expect to be in there like lisa power michael cashman uh, Peter Tatchell. Mm. I think if if anyone has even just a, a, a passing interest of this sort of subject, it's necessary. It's mm. a necessary mm. viewing. Mm. It's really interesting. I think that that the like gay culture and queer culture that it's been something that has had to exist for so long, kind of underground, and then when it came was able to come up to the underground, like how it's transformed. And then I, I don't know. I just I think it's like one of the most fascinating subjects, really, because it's so unusual that people have had to like hide that. And then how does it? Yeah, how does it change when you want to live kind of out? And and then like it, there's so many weird things now, like with you know obviously the like transphobia and stuff that's just horrific but also like weird things like the rainbow flag being like co-opted by like brands and stuff and like and it on like m and sandwiches and you're just yes. like what is going on this is a completely separate culture to ours and to like you know heteronormative and hetero culture and it's just like no this isn't guys oh it's i find it so weird and cringy when those things <laughs> but that that's one of the, the issues that gets raised in the film that People like Barclays and Marks and Spencer, it's great that they want to support mm. the LGBTQI plus community, but the, the commercialization of Pride is a problem. It would mm. be as it would be like if in America Martin Luther King Day was sponsored by Coca-Cola, so it was called yeah, Coca-Cola's exactly. Martin Luther mm. King Day. It just those two things don't go together. I'm obviously as a straight person, I don't feel like I can really comment on how that makes other people feel who actually are in that community but from an outside perspective i find that very very <laughs> strange and also i don't think that i don't think that like heteronormative culture and queer culture are necessarily supposed to blend perfectly i think you know there's needs to be definition it's a completely different in a, in a positive way i think like a kind of the vanillaing down of it one thing this this i mean the biggest takeaway from this film is that pride is a movement and it's more than just the parade that happens once a year mm. it's you know it's a way of life it's a, a complete way of being and 
you know standing up for yourself and your community whether you sort of take a big part in it or not is important because you know it, it's important to be seen you've got to lead by example if you you're leading by exposure that's a really really important thing because you never know who's watching yeah. mm. that's are you proud directed by ashley joiner elizabeth what is your netflix recommendation um my netflix all of mine are really or actually i've got one that's less fun but all of mine are quite fun but um <laughs> this, this one um is quite silly very very silly it's step brothers which is on netflix have you oh, guys wow. seen step brothers <laughs> I have not. Is that I is that Will Ferrell and it's Will John C. Ferrell. Vince Vaughn and John, no, C. John C. Riley? John C. Riley, <laughs> Adam McKay, Mr. Cellophane. Um, and it is, I think, one of the funniest films ever made. I've been watching a lot of like comedy because I've been found, finding lockdown quite weird and hard. But yeah, I rewatched Step Brothers and um, absolutely loved it. And it's just, I don't know. I find there's something really joyful about these two men who are both really hopeless kind of like finding a connection i guess in a way it's quite similar to rom-com because they start off hating each other and then are forced together and then you know find find sort of joy in their relationship but it's just it's so silly like but it's so funny are they playing younger than they than the actor's age no they... <laughs> no all oh, right so they're playing like 40 year old men who one of them lives with his mom the other one lives with his dad and then their parents fall in love and they like combine houses and they've like one of them's got a drum kit and he's like don't you ever touch my drum kit and then obviously the other one touches his drum kit but it's like they're just idiots but um <laughs> so it's like the dumb and dumber kind of style of comedy it, it is like dumb and dumber but i would say it's less like gross out and more just amazing writing like there are so many great lines in it and great moments like there's this bit where they <laughs> they build they like have this, they have to share a room and they've got like two wooden big wooden single beds and they're like mom dad can we make they like go in the parents room in the middle of the night mom dad can we make bunk beds and they're like yeah whatever <laughs> and so they put their beds on top of each other and then they're just like wow yeah amazing so much more room for activities <laughs> and then they're like they're doing like nunchucks and stuff and then obviously the bunk beds just like collapse oh, and gosh. they're fine but it's just i have like a real soft spot for just out and out comedy those two will ferrell and john c Riley, they're very good at playing sort of adult I was going to say adult babies, but that's not <laughs> what they are at all. <laughs> the sort of adult Arrested children who are a bit, yeah, a bit stupid, a bit, just a bit silly. They're yeah. very good at playing that. Yeah. Will Ferrell just has yeah. a funny face. Like he just has to stand there looking at you and it's funny. Yeah. So I'm looking funny. forward to his Eurovision film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What? The okay. But what? <laughs> <laughs> like. If anyone's going to do it, I feel it, like it that's a very, that's not an American thing at all. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm very I think suspicious. his wife's Swiss. I think his wife's Swiss. So oh, when they were over oh, there right. about 20 years ago, he saw it and he was like, I'm what obsessed with fuck? this. Okay, so I feel like, okay, so he probably does appreciate the power and brilliance of Eurovision then. So Joshua, what's your Netflix recommendation? My Netflix recommendation, I was about to apologise because it seems like this episode has suddenly become quite LGBT, but then I'm like, hang on a minute. No, we should be celebrating no, the fact that do it. 
suddenly there's all these films that are out there readily available for people to watch that are about marginalized people. So my Netflix recommendation is A Secret Love, which is a documentary by Chris Bolan. Have either of you heard of it? No. No. Oh, okay. Well, it, it seems to have slightly flown under the radar, but I freaking loved it. Um, and I only just found out that the the director is actually related to the two um, women who are the main characters in inverted commas in the film. Um, but basically, he the story is that he Chris Bolan went to visit his great aunts, and um, you know they're, I think they're, they're like in their eighties, and they basically reveal that they are a couple. They're not related oh. aunts; they are actually. He's always seen them as his great aunts. One of them is his biological aunt and one of them isn't. And they reveal that they've been in a relationship for the past 65 years. And so he then investigates what their life has been like. Um, And it just so happens that they were essentially the inspiration for the film A League of Their Own. They were part of... Yeah, they were part of the baseball (laughs) team, the women's baseball team. Um, and it's just it it moved me to tears. It's just so wonderful and lovely. I do know this. I that do. I haven't amazing. watched it yet. I do know this. It came out on Netflix around the time the Circus of Books yes came out. Yeah, about um, a month or two. Ago. Yeah, it looks it looks great. Which one's Gina Davis? Which one's Madonna? <laughs> I don't used know. Used <laughs> to be my playground. Um, um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and I don't. Know, I think because it it makes sense now to to discover that it was directed by a member of the family because it it's so intimate, and um, you know the conversations that are had about their welfare. You know, they're getting older. One of them has, I think she, I'm not sure, but I think she has Parkinson's, um, and it, it's kind of about how they're going to secure them as they enter into like their retirement kind of thing or the, mm. you know their twilight years so it's really quite fraught discussions and um yeah it's just i loved it just yeah everyone should watch it it's brilliant it's great that the l gets a yeah. a spotlight because usually when it's lgbtqi plus most people just go for the g and yeah. it's actually it's great that a bunch of a bunch of lesbians a couple of lesbians <laughs> or just a lesbian couple, couple of lesbians <laughs> A couple of lesbians are getting are getting the spotlight. A That's really great. <laughs> and you and you can watch that as, alongside League of Their Own as well, which mm. I've now looking thinking back about it, I'm like, oh, that's actually a pretty like a great queer bill. film in a way because it's just like women being amazing. Together. Yeah, there's very few men in that. Just Tom Hanks. It's just Tom Hanks. He is, he's he is just the America's man. daddy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He is the America's man. daddy with his limp. What was that called, Joshua? A Secret Love. Uh, my Netflix recommendation is a documentary. Oh. And gosh. it's one that I watch maybe once a year since it came out four years ago. It's called 13th by Ava DuVernay. Oh. Yeah, you raved about Have you that. seen this yet? No. Oh, I love this documentary. It's so... It's great. It's it's a powerful indictment of the treatment of uh, sort of people of colour in America. Um, and it concentrates on the close ties between racism and the incarceration uh, system, so the prison system. So it's called 13th because it's, it's, it's named after the 13th Amendment, which says that no citizen should be a slave, and I quote, except as a punishment for a crime. So after the Civil War, when 
slavery was abolished. The 13th Amendment was added with that loophole. So immediately the authorities started to abuse it and reincarcerate the black people hmm. that had previously been slaves. So it looks at this through the prison system basically since the 70s Gosh. and exploring that loophole. Um, and it also serves as a as a history lesson in, in the modern civil rights movement. Mm. So I, I, I watched it for the first time in 2016 when it came out and I watched it this week because of what's going on in America, mm. because of in the wake of George Floyd and Armored Aubrey and the riots and the protests that are going on. It's, it's just as relevant. But the problem is, and the sad situation is, even though in the four years, you know, it's been four years since that film came out, no one's listened. Mm. The authorities haven't listened and the change hasn't been achieved. Many more people have died. So it's, yeah. it's, the film is even more relevant now. I mean, four years is a drop in the ocean, to be honest, you know, because it's such a huge problem. It's not, yes. it's not going to just get resolved that quickly. I think obviously like, no. like things like the Me Too movement, they escalated so quickly and had such a massive impact on, you know, an, an entire culture. But I think that was like, a, that's quite a rare moment in sort of cultural history and things like the black. Well, Me Too, Me Too had been around for 20, 25 mm. years. Yeah. But it suddenly it's only a thing, didn't it? With, with uh, Ronan Farrow's article, yeah. 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 Sometimes I look and I think, is it complicated what's, what's going on? But really, you know, the, 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 the base of it is just don't be fucking racist. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's as simple as that. It wow. really is as simple as that. But I think there's also like a huge responsibility for white people to recognize our part in all of it because I think mm -hmm. we are all racist, even if we don't think we are, we mm. definitely are. And I think that until you sort of reckon with that, it's going to be very, very difficult for change to happen because it, it it's like, obviously, yeah, the systematic restructuring would be amazing. And if like the police could just like weed out all of the racists, that would be great. But mm -hmm. I think it's more about like being responsible in your everyday life of like, am I making sure that I'm including people in, you know, if I'm getting access to a certain place or to a room or to some opportunity, am I making sure that someone else has that same opportunity? Am I, if I'm getting yeah. asked to speak on something, am I sure that I'm the person that should be speaking on it? Is there not somebody, maybe a person of color who would be more relevant or is are they gonna be as represented? And I think mm. that's like, as you said earlier, Josh, like if, you know, the um, the responsibility of the people who have been persecuted for just being who they are, like they have a responsibility to take part and to speak up and to put themselves in the in the um, same situation as the people who are protesting but i think it's not just um people who've been persecuted it's like every white person ever well, yeah. um because i'm just like because i'm it's obviously like devastating but i'm also like but i don't i want to that like powerlessness you feel as a white person but then you're also like yeah but i'm not powerless i am mm. the most powerful in so many ways because I don't have to worry about any of the stuff that people of color have to worry about. Like, yeah, it doesn't, you know, the change doesn't happen until we all pull our fingers out and do something about it. But this, this documentary is, is great. I love Ava DuVernay. I think she's mm. brilliant. Oh yeah. Mm. I haven't seen, I haven't seen everything. I haven't seen Selma. I haven't seen, uh, 
what was it? Wrinkle, wrinkle, wrinkle in time. I've seen When They See Us, Netflix mm. series, which is brilliant. But 13th, check it out. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> so moving on to the BFI player. Elizabeth, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is Weekend, just keeping in the same vibe. Uh, <laughs> 2011 which I only saw for the first time when I was making my film and I loved it so much. Uh, I really like Andrew Haig. Uh, I really like looking as well. Oh, brilliant, um, yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was so wonderful. It was such a like romantic, beautiful, very honest, like true. It felt really very real depiction of just like two people falling in love-ish over the course of a weekend. So yeah. Mm. I really liked it. It's just a really like it's just a really naturalistic. It almost feels like a documentary. Like you've been given this little portal into, uh, you know, a, to a pe- you know a couple of people like you said falling in love, and it feels like really honest and genuine. And yeah, for me because that came out in twenty eleven. That mm. yeah, there weren't. And, yeah. you know, this is years before we had that purple patch in twenty seventeen with Call Me by Your Name <laughs> and Beach Rats. I love how you purple, call it purple patch. patch. It's a purple patch. We had that sudden explosion <laughs> of great LGBTQ plus stories. Um, mm. But yeah, twenty twenty eleven, there wasn't much going on, and this mm. flew out there like I remember when this when this came out and it was released. It was released by Peccadillo Pictures, wasn't it? Mm. It felt like an event movie. But yeah, one that was just like super secret. That was a really weird time in in kind of the gay c- cinema scene where it was all very small and a bit odd. <laughs> mm. And then this came along and it's so polished and grown up, you know, it's, it's like a proper film kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a real film. It's a real film. <laughs> yeah. I think they improvised a lot of the dialogue as well, which yeah. I think really helps because you just felt like they it did just feel so natural. I think this and God's Own Country are almost oh a God. pair. Like yeah. They kind of just go together. And I'm so glad that you God's talked about God's Own Country in your film, in Romantic Comedy. Yeah, it's quite it does... controversial though. Loads of people are like, I mean... it's not a rom-com. I'm like, <laughs> I know. You do say that in the film. It's not funny. Yeah. I think it's quite funny though. But yeah, it is, I love but also, God's Own Country so much. I think that you're, you're right in the, the kind of the structure of romantic comedy is it's such a set formula that it actually can be absorbed into other genres. And I think God's Own Country is one where they do that really effectively. Yeah. And I think the best rom-coms are the ones that feel real, that feel like, Mm. oh, this is a couple that I would actually believe in. They're not like ridiculous premises. They're like, oh no, this is the thing that is keeping these two people apart is each other, is themselves, is stuff that they've got to work through. It's not like, oh, because one of us is a magical crab or something. It's like, no, this is like, this is an actual, like, yeah, real thing that we're going through that we need to work out because that's what relationships are actually like. Yeah. Um, and that's what Weekend's like. That's, exactly. that's the relationship in Weekend. Yeah. yeah. Joshua, what's your BFI player suggestion? Well, my BFI player suggestion was going to be Weekend, but Elizabeth Oh, snap! It. I know. So <laughs> I found another one. Um, I did a cheeky Google and I just saw that Arrival is on there. Um, <gasps> I love Arrival. Amy Adams. Denis Villeneuve. 2016 i think possibly and it's about it's like the basically the art house version of independence day which makes it sound worse than it is <laughs> it's it's so fucking good it's like these i think 12 of kind of strange 
objects of just land on cities around the world and uh, Amy Adams is a, a linguist who um, has to go in and try to communicate with these very strange squid-like alien things um, in order to discover if they are friend or foe so it has that very clever ticking clock thing but it also has like a very interesting structure in terms of like it's kind of flashbacky you learn things you think that something's from the future or the past but it's actually the other way around um it's like a it's like a christopher nolan film but with about a thousand times more emotion <laughs> than you might expect from christopher nolan um, yes yeah i just loved it i thought it was so great i love it we saw it together we did and you completely didn't understand the ending <laughs> didn't get the ending i've read it completely differently and then i had to see it again to be yeah. like, oh now i get it but i love it because i love denny villeneuve yeah yeah it's is I think it is so clever to do like a science fiction film that is also that is about kind of loss and grief and it's so heartbreaking when you realize what's happened like at mm. the ending you're just mm. like oh god because also I'm like is she gonna do all of that yeah she probably is she's still gonna do all the stuff that she's been remembering Oh, I just got I chills. Know. I just got chills. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that choice to like still go through the pain. Mm. Um, spoilers. But this yeah, uh, I don't know. I think that's yeah. so, it was so, it was one of those films. It's a bit like Manchester by the Sea where I was like, I can watch that once and be, think it's absolutely brilliant, but I don't think I could ever watch it again because it was so affecting. So that's Arrival by Denis Villeneuve. My BFI player suggestion is Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. Mm. Oh, fantastic. The inspiration for many, like Star Wars and, you know... Everything, Magnificent yeah. Seven, yeah. The Three Amigos. Uh, <laughs> if you have a spare three and a half <laughs> hours, watch it. It is... It's extraordinary. The film is, like, 65 years old now, and it still feels really fresh. It's got great drama. It's got great action. It's got great comedy. And I can completely see the influence of that film in things like Infinity War and Endgame. Mm. It's mm. it's the same format. It hasn't changed. All that's changed is the effects have got better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's part of the BFI's Japan 2020 season, and the film that the version they're showing is the uncut uh, original. Whoa. It was it was cut down for like television and for later DVD releases, but this is the uncut version. So it has an interval. So if you can't sit for the whole three and a half hours, just do what I do, split it into two halves. The first half is tight, it's fat free. The second half does have some sort of fatty pacing. Sounds like issues, kill bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's small quibbles. And I think if you're looking for an entry point into non English speaking cinema, this is a this is a perfect one. This is yeah. great. Just because it feels so fresh and it's mm. so famous. Yeah, I've I've wanted to watch it for years and I still haven't so Well we were yeah. gonna go see it at the cinema, but you had to jet off to interview Goldie Horn in LA. Oh. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I chose Goldie over Seven Samurai. You know, crazy. I, I love Goldie Horn. She's amazing. She is absolutely oh, incredible. Yeah. If you've oh seen gosh. any of her films, you've basically met Goldie Horn. Like she is exactly the same. <laughs> that was Seven Samurai, director right Akira Kurosawa. Let's move on to Mubi. Everyone loves Mubi or Mubai or whatever they like to call it. <laughs> Elizabeth, what's your Mubai recommendation? <laughs> Mine is The Assistant, uh, which is very good. Very recent mm. release. Only came out like a month ago. 
Uh, do you know anything about it? Well, didn't it? It no. was meant to be in cinemas and then lockdown happened. So it came straight exactly. on. Exactly. So yeah. it came straight on. And it's um, Kitty Green, who also, who's made documentaries before this. Um, and she made Casting Jean Benet, which I don't know if you've seen, but is so mm. good. Uh, it's all about the death of Jean Benet, but she does it in a very, very interesting way. So she's not kind of talking explicitly of like, in 1993 this thing happened she's like <laughs> kind of exploring the effect of it on a community and on people and it's, it's a fantastic documentary if you haven't seen it but yeah so mm-hmm. kitty green i think is her first this is the assistant is her first um film that she's like like non uh, first fiction film mm-hmm. i'm not sure if that's true but i'm just saying it and you can't <laughs> stop me from saying you can it. make it true but <laughs> we're in the post-truth world thank yeah. god it's her 42nd film. <laughs> Julia Garner, who's in the Ozarks, or Ozark rather. I don't know if you know her. She's got like really curly yeah. blonde hair. She, she plays was in just... Grandma. She was in Grandma. And she's great So she plays that. basically an assistant and you don't really know anything about like who she's assisting and you just kind of see her her day. And it's again, like talking about the weekend being subtle. This is like subtle to the nth degree but I'm not even it's sure just if you a... watched it or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's just about how um how women in like film production companies or rather she plays a woman in a film production company where there's like an overbearing boss and there is like clearly this dubious seedy behavior happening and she kind of isn't aware of what's happening but she is aware of what's happening and she is mm. trying to sort of stop it from happening but she has no power but it's just done in this it's so clever and yeah subtle um and really affecting because you just kind of see like someone being squashed down very very slowly by a very very strong hand um it's really really good doesn't it do something really clever where basically you never see who she's assisting you never see the boss you just hear him you never see the boss you don't even really hear him you you see her on the phone to him feeling tense and her response to him um and you kind of know that he's in this he's just in this room behind her and there's two other guys that she works with and you kind of see them kind of exchanging glances when the boss is like asks them for something or is upset about something like maris in fraser <laughs> yes it is very much like maris in fraser but i think that's yeah. such a genius idea because if you look at bombshell which i did love it it's mm. kind of it t- makes a gargoyle out of John Lithgow and he becomes oddly compelling. Like you want to see how hideous yeah. he is. Whereas with the yeah. assistant, by removing that figure, it stops them having any power over the narrative in terms of like your own experience of it. It makes it all about who it should be about, which is her. I think it's just genius. It also makes it so deeply relatable to so many uh, people, I think predominantly women, I imagine, although not necessarily, but that thing of just having a boss that where you um, like you have no power and you feel uncomfortable and you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. And like, yeah, so by not kind of turning him into somebody that you can actually see and who's moving around and talking on screen, it just makes you so much more aware of her discomfort mm. um, and you don't ever sort of get a chance to contextualize it in terms of well well, what's he going through or anything like that you're just like oh yeah no I just remember that feeling of having a boss that where I felt like I don't like this but I can't Mm. do anything about it yeah what's it called again the assistant the assistant and it's directed by kitty green awesome 
Joshua, what's your movie recommendation? My movie recommendation is The Souvenir, directed by Joanne Hogg. Um, it came out last year. I think it was briefly in cinemas, and then it, it was kind of a movie exclusive as well. Um, and it's about, it stars the daughter of Tilda Swinton. Completely forgot. Does she have a name? Completely (laughs) forgotten. (laughs) Her name is Honor Swinton. Baby Tilda. Yeah. (laughs) Little Tilda. It's Honor Swinton Byrne, and she plays a a film student who's trying to sort of break into film, and she meets this this guy who's called who's played by Tom Burke, and he's this sort of really powerful, intense presence, um, and they sort of they kind of I think they end up end up living together um it's a very it's very art house it's very much about the things that aren't said it's about the tension that grows in between these two people um it's beautiful like everything joanne hogg does is very natural but in but also in some way ethereal like she did archipelago with tom hiddleston ages ago 2011 i think um and it has that very same kind of studied look. It, it's it's studying this relationship. Uh, it does. I've forgotten what film we watched where we talked about this, but it does that thing where it doesn't necessarily show you all the big stuff. It just shows you the stuff that's happened that happens afterwards. Oh, um, um, you were never really here. Yeah, mm. Lynn Ramsey's film with Joaquin. It's very clever. It's very very clever. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, I saw it in the cinema. Oh, cool. I didn't love it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, no. Why not? But I think I just, um, I think I just felt like it was obviously a very, very personal film because I think it's based on Joanna Hogg's own experiences when she was trying to uh, get into film and art and stuff. And I think, as you say, like, it's absolutely stunning. And I think there's mm. so many uh, wonderful things about it. But I just found the characters, I didn't really re- kind of relate to them. And I felt a bit like, I don't know. It felt a bit to me like when a friend is dating someone and you're just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> it, it is like that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of felt like, I don't know. I'm also someone, I have very little patience for like people seeking out drama when they don't have drama in their mm. lives. Because I'm like, there's enough drama in the world without you needing the to fill your life with it yeah, um yeah and so i felt a bit like this is a situation that could be sorted out and also i was like god tilda swinton is amazing in this i wanted more <laughs> tilda um oh yeah she is but yeah totally no, forgot. yeah yeah she plays her mum, but um i didn't really love it but i think it is a brilliant film and it's definitely worth a watch for me it really reminded me of like kubrick because it has that really glacial Oh Slight, yeah, yeah, slightly good point. like removed feel to it. Where yeah, if I rewatched it, maybe I would see so much more than was actually observable the first time, kind of thing. Yeah, um, and just the setup of the shots and things like mm-hmm. that. It was yeah. Definitely. What was this? What's Kubrick's like period film? I can't. It's just the names. Uh, Barry like... Lyndon. Yeah, very Barry Lyndon. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Yeah, Barry Lyndon just sounds like a sixties like. Oh, no, I am Barry. Yeah, like Confessions of <laughs> a Window Buzzer. Cleaner or something. <laughs> I love Barry Lyndon. Love oh it. my god! But yeah, like that. Actually, you're right. I had not thought of that, but that is such a good call. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, well done. You've said Kubrick, so I'm sold. 
Yeah, go on, Rob. So my movie recommendation is The Ice Storm by Ang Lee. <gasps> oh. So I hadn't seen this in about 20 years. Yes. Yeah, and it's a, it's a brilliant exploration of suburbia and the lives of sort of two affluent families and the parents are in crisis and they're played by joshua's favorite sigourney weaver and kevin klein (laughs) joan allen jim carver and they're struggling to sort of regain some sort of youthful exuberance in in sort of middle age and they're really miserable and they're selfish and they're sort of having affairs and then there's the kids played by elijah wood who is basically a tadpole in this film katie holmes toby Maguire, christina rishi which is it basically reads like a who's who of late 90s teen stars and they're looking for a way to be more adult and it's really quiet and it's really muted and it's really fat free it 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 it's a sort of film that doesn't really exist anymore it's some of that that sort of mid-budget intense family drama that i really miss because Ooh. this is a really really great film and it's only what an hour and a half so it's in and out really quick I didn't realise it was Ang Lee as well. Oh, yeah. It's one of his early non-native films. One of his first English language films. That's another one of those films that I watched around the same time as But I'm a Cheerleader, where I was in my full drive teen phase, where I was just like, give me me sunny teenagers falling in love and being idiots. And then I watched The Ice Storm (laughs) and I was like... Oh no, this is really sad. This isn't <laughs> yeah, what real did. <laughs> because it, I had the same thing where I was like, oh, this will be fun. It's like, as you say, Katie Holmes, Dawson's yeah. Creek. And you're like, ooh, what's going on? Ooh. Why is everyone so not happy and stuff? <laughs> but I remember that they had really be- amazing houses as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Those great American brown carpets. Yeah. Yes. That, like, Very brown, mid-century. 70s. Almost like Spielberg without the whimsical nature. Mm. yeah i'll give it another watch I, it's and yeah. sigourney weaver's brilliant in it oh, i love her i don't know why she doesn't do more i know what is her problem <laughs> god's sake sigourney <laughs> she's she's a great actress and she just doesn't do anything she what did galaxy quest i love galaxy she's great quest. in galaxy quest I love galaxy she's great quest. in that but that oh. was 20 years ago yeah, i rewatched that, that recently so... and it's still really really funny and actually it kind of works better so now because every you know people are more into like more mainstream audiences are into star trek now so yeah. it actually is funnier now let's talk about our favorite what's the favorite thing you've seen whilst in lockdown elizabeth um i rewatched down with love i don't know if you guys know about oh this film. yeah it came out 2003 and was i think pretty badly like quite derided almost. yeah it was um, who's in it it's Renée Zellweger and um, Ewan McGregor, and it's a romantic comedy, but it's very much inspired by like the Rock Hudson Doris Day romantic comedies. So it's oh. set in the sixties. It's Technicolor. I do um, remember it coming out. Yeah, and Simran Hands, who's also uh, one of the contributors in my film, she just wrote an amazing piece about it. But it's mm. kind of yeah, it's uh, it's so tongue in cheek and like lovely, lovingly satirizing. Um, those movies but at the same time is like making quite interesting points about how women sort of have to behave and uh there's there's an amazing as well like split screen section which they took directly from pillow talk but it's like just full of innuendo and it's got yeah. niles from fraser in it yes. so like second <sighs> fraser mention 
Um, <laughs> David Hyde Pierce. David Hyde Pierce. So yeah, it's... Uh, is he playing a gay character in that as well? Well, what's really interesting, he's not, but he is playing, um, he's playing like Ewan McGregor's best friend and the other, the actress in it who is David Hyde Pierce's love interest is, oh, what's her name? I'm going to get it for you. Um, <laughs> you think it really hard with your keyboard. Thinking, oh, who is it? Um, it's Sarah Paulson. And oh, so amazing. I really just, I just oh. love that like their best mates in it are two out actors. Um, mm. And uh, well, she, I don't think she was out at the time and he was kind of, it was like a half. It was kind of secret, assumed. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Word, word, yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't know. And looking back on that now, it's kind of cool. It's, uh, but yeah, it's very like post-feminist and mm. anachronistic and fantastic. Was that around the time? Because there was like this little strange pocket in the early 2000s where it was like a very small 60s renaissance where there was like Austin Powers and there was Down With Love and then obviously Emma Bunton released her very 60s inspired album Maybe <laughs> Catch Me yeah. If You Can which is her best album Catch Me Catch If You me Can if you, yeah, yeah 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 exactly the, the when terminal. was Catch Me If You Can is the Terminal 60s? No. yeah I watched it I watched it recently and it is very it feels like a um, like a French comedy and Catherine yes, Zeta-Jones is in that one that. as well. Oh. Catch Me If You Can was 2002. So yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Hmm. So the 60s were back. She's another one that is a great actress, but doesn't really do much anymore. I know. I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua, what's yours? What's been your favourite? Um, I watched Gods and Monsters on Amazon Prime for the first time last weekend. And it is freaking awesome. It's, uh, I think it's from 1993 or 94, and it's all about James Whale, who directed the the two good Frankenstein monster movies from the 1930s. Um, so he did like Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And it's about him at the end of his life, or he's like in his 60s, so he's not that old, but he's he's having, you know, he's kind of unwell, he's had a stroke, and it's about how he starts to have a friendship kind of with his gardener played by Brendan Fraser, who is, I mean, James Whale is played by Ian McKellen. So that's amazing. But Brendan Fraser in Gods and Monsters is ridiculously good. Like not only is he the perfect man, he also somehow pulls off looking like Frankenstein's monster. Like his hair is cut <laughs> to look like Frankenstein's monster, but he acts Ian McKellen off the stage. It's insane. Like how, how is Brendan Fraser not a bigger actor than he is? It's insane. But yeah, so it's kind of about them, but it's about so much more. It's so, so clever. It's so elegantly done. It's directed by Bill Condon. I've forgotten what else he's done apart from that awful Twilight film. Didn't he just recently work with McKellen again and Helen, Helen Mirren in uh, oh. the, the, the Good Liar? Yeah, yeah, which got absolutely panned, which is awful because it was awful. It felt like a, I saw it, it was like an ITV1 Sunday night drama. Yeah. It, was it was horrible. Well, if you haven't seen Gods and Monsters, watch that. I've seen Gods and Monsters. Oh, I think God. it's great. Oh, God. I think it's, it's, I think so it's clever. phenomenal. Yeah. I haven't seen it. When did it come out? Uh, recently, 1993. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. I was going to so. say, like, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah. Brendan Fraser had a really tough time, didn't he? There was I that big this... article about him. Right. Yeah. yeah. He was, like, treated very badly, I mm. think. By Hollywood now... or... I think by Hollywood and maybe by some people in... I, I can't remember. 
I'm sorry, mm. Brendan. He's basically now just living on a ranch with horses. It's it's like, Brendan, please come back. He's You're living off good. his mummy's money. <laughs> ah, get it? Because of the uh, money. My... <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favourite selection is actually God's Own Country by Lee Francis. I just think it's such a, a, a gorgeous, lovely little love story. And, and the thing that I think is such a great element is that it's it's a, an LGBTQ plus film, or basically a, a gay film, that isn't about misery connected mm. to a secret yeah. sexuality or AIDS or HIV or any sort of oppression. He's just completely disconnected from his emotions yeah. because the you know the the surroundings you know you you go into this partly in in your film it it's just a love story it's not a coming out story and yeah. i think mm. it's so expertly done by lee francis and the two actors uh josh o'connor and alec sacrenu i don't know if i'm pronouncing that Sacre correctly I'm probably, I'm probably butchering the the beautiful romanian <laughs> language um but it's it's just an absolute masterclass it's and it's so rewatchable it's a gorgeous film yeah it kind of manages to as you say like not sort of add trauma but at the same time it's very much a film it's like a, a, a queer film it's not it's not sort of pandering to oh it's mainstream um kind of heteronormative ideals like it's very much separate to that yeah i love that film so much like when i remember seeing in the cinema and just like when he's on the way again i don't want to spoil it but like just the ending just feeling so like <gasps> invested oh, in their relationship the <clears throat> yeah and just like heartbroken for him like <clears throat> like what he's what he's kind of doing like him putting himself out there and oh it's so beautiful yeah. no that's what i love about cinema is that it's a very specific story about a very specific place and very specific people um and yet everyone can enjoy it like i was i was so happily surprised when i went to see parasite and the entire screen was packed out with people who probably don't necessarily go to see subtitled films that often mm. and yeah. yet they yeah. were all there great thing about parasite was it was in cinemas it was being screened in cinemas that wouldn't normally have a foreign language mm. movie i saw parasite twice in watford yeah yeah when have they ever shown a korean movie yeah yeah it's great. And you kind of wonder, like, what was that? What was it about Parasite that made it really cut through? Because obviously it's a brilliant film, but there's so many brilliant, like, non-English speaking films. Like, yeah. what was that about that movie that just kind of... I And I, I think it was a brilliant, like, campaign by the Curzon, to be honest, but also just yeah. that... Um, I don't know. I yeah. I don't know what it was about it. It's a it's a zeitgeist thing, you know. Like yeah, around this around over. the time that God's Own Country was coming out, we had Call Me by Your Name. So there was a great, yeah. like Joshua said, a great purple patch of mm. queer cinema, and it's it's even more it's even more amazing that this is Lee Francis's first yeah. feature film. That makes yeah. me sick. That makes me sick. Like it's like people who write great books <laughs> as their first book. I'm like, oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and he's making, now he's working with Kate, Kate Winslet. Kate, Bl Kate Winslet and Saoirse, isn't it? Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a good cast. That is a great cast. That's it. That's all our recommendations. That's a lot of recommendations. That's at least 15 films, if not more. Get over it, guys. Go watch them. <laughs> We've done our job. Elizabeth, good luck with the next documentary and Thank also you. with The Baby. 
thank you yeah yeah equally demanding <laughs> projects i'm sure <laughs> yeah i'm hoping i'll just be able to do them both at the same time like yeah raise and edit be sure to check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast. We have the continuation of our series on non-superhero comic book movies coming out soon. You don't want to miss those episodes. Elizabeth, how can people get hold of you if they want to? Are you on Twitter? Uh, I am. I'm at Sankles, S-A-N-K-L-E-S. And the film is at, at Romcom Movie as well on Twitter. And it's still on Mubi right now? I think it is still on Mubi. Um... I can't remember. Yeah, it was on the seventh. Oh, so maybe you've like got a, only got a few more days to watch it. Actually, don't know when this comes out, but yeah. And where will it be after movie? We are still working that out. Uh, we it's gonna it will be available for streaming and online and stuff, but we haven't. Everything's been a bit slow because there's this thing going on called a pandemic. I don't know if you guys know about <laughs> it, eh? but it just makes like people kind of like less less time. It's weird. Yeah, so we're we're, we're still sorting that all out. And that's a romantic comedy, your documentary essay. Joshua, how can people get hold of us? We are on Twitter at TornsnobsPod. And uh, Rob will be there to facilitate any kind of tweeting desires you may have. We're off for a meet-cute in the rain. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. I'm Elizabeth Sankey. Cut!